Hi, I'm Jacqueline Freeman. And I'm Sarah Korn. You're listening to Kitchen Table Alchemy, living in full color. This is a podcast for people who see and spread the magical in everyday life. Welcome. So uh, today we're going to start off talking about um, jumping off some of the discussion that's been happening on the Facebook group, Kitchen Table Alchemy. Um, So glad you guys liked uh, the last episode. And uh, we had someone that um, had a great comment about, let's see, um, love your insights and emotional freedom. So last episode we had talked a little bit about really allowing ourselves um, to feel whatever we're feeling in the moment without judging ourselves or shutting it down. Um, and how, if we're not doing that, uh, that we end up policing our own emotions, policing other people's emotions. And we talked about like, you know, what greater tyranny is there if you're not allowed to feel your own feelings in your own skin, then what freedom do you have? So, um, she says, it's still a struggle for me, except what I feel without blaming myself, allowing others to blame me or letting unexpressed pain fester into shame, giving myself and others permission to simply be with our feelings has helped tremendously. What has worked for you all when it comes to acknowledging and responding, responding healthily to tough emotions? Such a great comment. Thanks, Elena. Yeah. And so for me, uh, my answer to that is kind of short and simple. It's sort of one of those practice makes perfect kind of things, um, which is recognizing when I'm, when I'm in a state of strong emotion and that internal dialogue starts of, uh, stopping so emotional, you know, why are you getting so worked up? And, and this is, you shouldn't feel this way or that way, you know, whatever. So catching myself thinking those things and then stopping that, you know, saying, wait, no, it's okay for me to feel however I want to feel. Like you said, in your own skin. (laughs) Now there are boundaries in terms of, you know, expressing that externally, right? To other people, you do need to be aware of, you know, what's appropriate in a situation, but within yourself, you can feel whatever you want to feel. And it's natural. Emotions are natural. And I think that's really the key understanding is that, you know, this whole idea of you should feel a certain way is or total, right, or shouldn't. There's no should way. or shouldn't when it comes to your emotions. What you feel is what you feel. Yeah, totally. And so once I realized that, I was like, okay, so what, So I can feel however I want in my own skin and also understanding that it's going to pass, you know, yeah. whatever I'm feeling right now may be really intense and really, you know, over the top, so to speak, but it's, it's going to die down. It's going to run its course. And once it does, then I can make decisions about yeah. what I'm going to do in that situation, it, which is better to do anyway, because when you're in a high emotional state, you don't think as clearly and as rationally. And so, so it's a good idea not to make decisions. And I think you may have said this previously, don't make decisions when you're really, really upset. Um, but at the same time, don't get down on yourself for having those really strong emotions in the moment. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I used to do this, um, like, why am I feeling like this? Right. And and rather than it being a question of like true wonder, 
right? Where, where I'm looking to investigate those feelings and, and, and really be open to the information they're bringing me. It, that question why in that space was actually a judgment. Right. Like what's wrong with me? Exactly. Why am I feeling like this? Yeah, totally. So, um, and, uh, you know, like coming from this really abusive background, like I had a lot of stuff that I had pushed down. There were a lot of things that, that I wasn't able to feel in the moment, um, growing up, it would have split me into a gajillion different pieces. Right. So these things got like shoved down and, um, and I had wrestled with depression and, um, so like a lot of people, there's this fear that if I let my, if I let my emotions fully come into space, that they were, they were going to like drag me down this pit mm-hmm. And I would never emerge again, right? Like that I had been fighting so hard to stay away from them and was still struggling so much. So if I, like my feeling was, or my thought was that if I, if I let them come in fully and and fully allowed them, that they were going to just pull me down and I would never come back out again. Right. It's like, it's like the feelings are a tidal wave and you think, Oh my gosh, this tidal wave is going to knock me over and sweep me away and, you know, right. and I'll be gone or something terrible Forever. will happen. Yeah. But in fact, with emotions, what I found is that you, the tidal wave doesn't knock you over. Like you yeah. can just let it go through you. It's sort of like you're this invisible person that, you know, it just, right. you know, it goes through you and you feel it. But it it isn't going to take you away, right? No, it's really true. And a lot of the mystics use the the metaphor of the reed, right? That you're just letting this this wind pass through in the moment, right? Um, and if you don't put anything in its way, it will just pass through, right? But we but we're scared that it's not going to pass through. We think it's going to take us down. We think that if we allow space for our emotions, that it's going to totally shut down our daily life. And, um, I had some experiences happen where, um, I was able to release a lot of the things that had built up from when I was a kid and, um, like angels or guides were helping me release all that. And it was terrifying. Like I, I felt a lot of the things I hadn't felt as a small child going through abuse, going through molestation, like all these kinds of things It really felt like I was experiencing it for real right? Like in the moment I was feeling all the feelings I didn't feel at that time. Right. And, um, and I totally understood like the Tibetan book of the dead, right. In the Tibetan book of the dead, um, at the end of someone's life, there's this parade of animals going in front of them. And as they're sort of doing the life review and you, you're feeling what you made other people feel, right. That's the setup for the Tibetan book of the dead. And so depending on whether you made people feel really good or whether you made them feel terrible, right, the, the better you were in your life, the more clean your emotional slate was, the longer you can wait on this procession to go in front of you. So then you'll be reincarnated as, as another human being, right? But if you're really awful, right, then you, you'll jump into a cockroach because you'll do anything to get away from this pain because it's so terrible, right? Mm-hmm. So I understood that. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's what they're talking about. But it, I mean, it was really terrifying. And I just felt like these guides were telling me, like, it's okay. You survived this. You're a grown up now. You're safe. We're just cleaning this out. We're just cleaning this out. It almost felt like they were holding me down on the couch, right? 
So, you know, this really intense flow of emotions is going through and, um, it was about 15, 20 minutes and it was really, really intense. But when it passed through, like I was just this like wet lump on the floor. So I just like laid on the floor and cried for like two and a half hours. But mind you, this is like 30 years of pent up emotion that was released in this one space. So that taught me even as intense as it was, as terrifying as it was, as frightening, as helpless, as betrayed, like all those things that I felt, really horrible things that I felt in that moment, it didn't kill me. It didn't take me down a horrible pit and dump me, right? Like the next day, I felt so light. I felt like my feet weren't even touching the ground. Do you know what I mean? Like, like this world had been dropped from my shoulders. It was just amazing. And so that taught me that I don't need to be afraid of my emotions anymore. And so I started doing this practice, like you said, right? Like, okay, just so when this question would come up, like, why am I feeling like that? It's like, you just because you are, because you're human, just because you are like, that's fine. It's part of what makes us human. And I had spent so many years pushing those things down with reason, right? So I'm not going to beat myself up for doing that. Like it was a survival mechanism, but I'd spent so many years pushing those things down or like I talked about in the last episode, like playing the sort of checkpoint Charlie, right? Like grabbed them by the neck. Like, who are you? And, um, that they were running away from me. Like, like children scared of Boo Radley. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, so they would run away from me. And so it, it took a little while for me to even let them come up. Do you know what I mean? Cause they, the mechanism was so automatic for them to swirl away again. But, um, and it's been about five years ago now when my mom, um, was in, had gone into the hospital and she'd had an attack, right? So I'd seen her when I was home for the holidays. Um, she was yellow as a Frito. So we knew, that it wasn't going to be long. And she did, um, she did end up dying January of 2010. Right. So, so I'd seen her in the hospital over the holidays in 2009 and, um, my brother, like, you know, there are all these issues happening. And, um, so I had had my phone on during class. I was, I was, uh, adjuncting at the time, told my students, I have my phone on today because my mom's in the hospital. So I just want to let you know, right, that I might need to answer a phone call. So a phone call did come, right? I had just gotten the students working on some work. We'd done some stuff together, and now they were doing some individual work around it. And my brother called, so I stepped into the hallway, and he told me that my mom had had um, an attack, and they didn't know whether it was respiratory or heart attack. Um, And they were having problems. They had resuscitated her because there were all these things with the family, whatever. Um... So they had resuscitated her, which we knew she didn't want, mm. right? Um, but that, it, you know, that it was a really bad attack and it wasn't, you know, it was, this is bad news. So I got the phone call in the hallway and of course, all these emotions start swirling up inside of me. And so I just said to them, thank you for being here. You make me human. It makes total sense that you're here right now, but I got a room full of people in there that have paid a lot of money and they need what I'm delivering today, I promise you, as soon as as the workday is done, I had something in the evening, but I could shift it, right? So it was like, as soon as the workday is done, I'm, I'm all yours, right? I'll shift the thing to, to next week and, and we can sit down and you do whatever you need to do and say whatever you need to say. So they swirled away. I went back into the class. I finished the rest of my class. Between classes, I went out on the campus and found a tree to sit next to. And just had this like, (laughs) 
like Holly Hunter and Broadcast News. Have you seen Broadcast I News? No. Such a good movie. But she she does this thing in the morning where she sits down with the phone, and this is like old school, right? So it's mm-hmm. like the big heavy dust phone. And she sits down with the phone, she unplugs the phone from the wall, and she just sobs, right? This <laughs> for like five minutes, right? <laughs> and she plugs the phone back in and wipes her, wipes her eyes, and she's off with the rest of her day, right? Like it's hilarious. It's so funny, but at the same time, like it works. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so I, I went, you know, like in the seven minutes that I had or whatever, in between like grabbing something to eat and going to the bathroom, like I went outside, I sat next to this tree. I did this like Holly Hunter thing for like seven minutes by the tree, dried my eyes, went back in, taught my next class. Right. And I don't even know that my students knew what had happened that day. Right. It didn't, it didn't feel, I didn't feel like I was dragging. I mean, I could tell I was a little bit off. Do you know what I'm saying? But Mm -hmm. I don't think that, I don't even think my students noticed anything. And so when I finished the second class and this is an intensive, um, it was an intensive curriculum, right? So these are like two hour long, um, classes we met daily. Um, so I finished the second class and so my schedule's done for the day. I gather my things, I get in my car and I mean the minute my back tire went over that last speed bump to get out of the parking lot, right? The tears started coming and, um, so I'm driving and I just crossed the street. This is over there at Camelback and Hayden, right? So I just crossed the street and had to pull into the little bus yeah. dock or whatever <laughs> because the tears were coming down so intensely that I couldn't even yeah. see, right? Like, and I think it was even raining, right? It was like so cinematic, like the rain and the rain and the rain. And so, um, so I, I pulled over, you know, got that, let that little first wave pass through so that I could see. And, um, dried my eyes and went home and then, you know, like took a nice bath, just kind of let that stuff come up as it was coming up. But, um, that was, that was a huge turning point for me. And I really got to see as well that they're not interested in tearing me down. They're not interested in taking my life down. They're not interested in railroading me. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I saw that after, this, I guess it'd probably been two or three years of the practice and me building this relationship with my emotions where I respected them and recognized that they were useful for me, right? Right. You're my friends. You make me human. You give me good information. I'm glad you're here, right? Like, so I had to, and there had been years of me not treating them that way. So I had to like get into this place of nurturing and compassion with my own emotions and myself with my emotions, right? Almost seeing them as these friends that are coming to visit um, and nurturing that relationship. Then I got to see, since I had been respecting them, right? Mm -hmm. Then they respected me when I said, wow, yes, of course you're here now. Of course you are. Right. But here's the deal. (laughs) You know, those people in there need what I'm giving them. I have to be present right now. I promise I'll give you this time. Right. That reminds me of, um, that actually works, uh, well with kids too. Cause you know, kids, especially when they're younger can be very, you know, like mommy, 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 pay attention to me. And, and, and you're like, like, I need to focus on what I'm doing. You know, when you've got a whole bunch of errands or whatever commitments, things that you have to do. And, and, I found that if I, you know, and once they were old enough to understand this, but, but I could say, uh, to Alice or Darren, um, look, um, I, I see that you want my attention 
and I'm happy to give you my attention, but first I need to do this. Like, let me finish this. Yeah. And then I will come and I will be fully present with you and pay attention. I, I mean, I didn't use the words like fully present, but, <laughs> but, but that's what I'm saying is like, let me finish this. Yeah. And then you and I will do this thing together that you want to do. And, um, and, and then of course, following through with that commitment yes. and actually doing it. Yes. And then once, you know, you start that, that habit and they see that you mean that and that you're going to do it, um, then, you know, then that's something they're more able to accept. Yeah. 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 And yeah, then an- another thing that I thought of as you were um, sharing is, um, did you see the movie Inside Out? Just this weekend. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I am so excited that this concept has been, like, released into the mainstream. Yeah. Like, seriously, I was like, wow, this is amazing. And like, how great that they made it into a kid's movie. Yeah. You know, so it's yes. relatable at all age levels. Yeah. Which I, I'm like, that's really great. Just that, and, like, the part where... Um, where there's something sad that happens and the joy, I think her name is like, no, don't be sad, don't be sad. And But then the sadness character is able to, by acknowledging, you know, that sad thing that happened, then they're able to move past it. Yeah, I really and love that And I was they... like, that's really great. I, I, I remember being in theater being like, this is a kid's movie? I know. Wow, I can't <laughs> so believe it. so awesome. Oh, it makes me so happy. Seriously. Yeah, because I wondered, and I, oh, I so relate to Joy. So in Inside Out, for those of you that haven't seen it yet, um, and excuse the noise, right? Like, this is literally kitchen table alchemy. We are literally at a kitchen table. So, the so you hear, so you hear neighbors lawn. mowing lawns <laughs> next door. Um, but luckily, it's just a small piece of grass, so I think it might even be done. But, um, uh yeah, like, for those that haven't seen the movie, you're seeing basically the kind of emotional, the way that emotions control the switchboard in the human mind. Right. <coughs> they have they have joy, sadness, anger. Disgust. Uh, disgust. And fear, of and course. Fear. Yeah. yeah, of course. <laughs> and, um, and it's interesting because you have the main character and you're watching her board, right? Um, and she's a little kid, so Joy's still in control. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's other characters in the movie that anger is in control or sadness is in control right. of the switchboard, right? So that's really interesting, too. But um, Well, and she's also an, in transition. Like, I think the character's, like, 11 or 12, so she's sort of starting, you know, she's right on that edge where she's about to cross from childhood into adulthood. <clears throat> and um, in that... In a way, that's really what makes um, all these emotions come out is that she's starting to go through that transition. And it's, you know, there are themes in there of, you know, your childhood sort of falling apart and <coughs> and what oh, is going to be rebuilt mm. in its place. And can you get it back? And um, it's so, so yeah, good. It's so powerful. It's so good. Like, everybody go see it. Seriously, it's so good. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what's like. Even if you don't have kids, (laughs) no, it's really good. And one of my uh, one of my male friends on on Facebook actually had posted. um, So apparently, a lot of us were watching it this weekend. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. So he had posted something about it, and um, and somebody made I can't somebody made some sort of dismissive comment about it, but they're like, "Oh, it was cute." 
you know. <laughs> and he was like, well, it was a little more than cute. Like, yeah. it was actually a really deep movie. Right. And apparently, disgust was in control of that person. <laughs> <laughs> so he like, was saying, it was <laughs> like, right? Oh, it's cute. It's so cute. And you like that sort of thing. I know, right? It's cute. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, but he was saying that he had, had, like gone into tears at several points because oh, it was yeah. you can relate to it in so many ways, right? Yeah. Like it's this kind of, God, I don't know what's in my throat. I'm like wanting to cough again. <clears throat> but um yeah, you can relate on so many because I think all of us have had these kinds of events, right? And and in for the character it's one event that causes this upheaval of the of you know the good old days or whatever. Um but all of us can relate to that. All of us can relate to those those things that happened and the decisions that we made and the parts of ourselves that we end up shutting down as a result of those decisions, right? So um, so it is really, really powerful. I can imagine. And somebody was saying, too, that there were just as many adults as kids in the theater when they had seen it in the theater. And, um, and I told Jason, like, we need to buy this. Yeah. Right. Like we rented, we rented streaming or wait, we streamed it, but we rented it and, um, we've watched it twice. <laughs> so you might as well just invest in the right? so, Well, I mean, cause it was a 72 hour right now. Mm. If you're renting it streaming, it's like a 72 hour instead of a, um, usually it's a 24 or 48 hour rental and it was 72 for this. So, so we watched it twice. Gotcha. Right. Um, although like, Cause he tends to fall asleep <laughs> during whatever. So like the first time we watched it, you know, he woke up and was like, Oh, what happened since they were on the train? I'm like too much for me to tell you. We're just going to have to watch it again. You know? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but I think, I think that's, um, and I talked to another friend of mine that was saying that her therapist had suggested that she'd watch it. So, um, so I think a lot of people are probably being told they need to. Um, <laughs> but it, it is re- a really powerful film and gives you a really, um, um, a really vivid picture of that really, again, the relationship between the emotions. And I love that they do. Because I can relate to joy a lot, mm-hmm. and that's how I managed my emotional life for a really long time. And joy that joy was, had to be in control, right? She had to be in control. No, we right. have to be happy all the time, right? No, no, no. You can't touch us because we have to be happy. Like, and um, I, ca- I can really relate to that. That's mm-hmm. totally how I worked my board for a really long time. Yeah, me too. And and I love that the film you you start understanding as joy understands the importance of quote unquote, um, negative emotions, right. Yeah. And the, the powerful role that they play in in keeping us whole and keeping us in community. I think that was really, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so today in our, in the news segment, we want to talk about, um, a comment that we got from uh, Aaron on Facebook, on our Facebook group, and she really enjoyed our In the News segment from the first episode um, and really related to, you know, that feeling of helplessness, yet at the same time feeling like you're supposed to do something about it. And, and actually, even my nine-year-old, well, he was nine now, he nine then, he's ten now. He's had a birthday. Yeah, he yeah. had his birthday, yay. Um, so Darren said that the thing that he related to most when he listened to the episode was 
about the news and feeling, you know, that sense of helplessness. So that's something that, I mean, it starts young, Yeah, you know, that feeling that all this stuff is going on in the world and, you know, and feeling like it's out of your control. So, so I hope that we can Uh, really use this segment to help, um, people be more empowered when it comes absolutely to i the think news. it's something a lot of people relate to that meme that got posted on the page as well about my desire to stay informed is at odds with my need to be sane right yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly <laughs> so um so aaron writes on our facebook group there's an element to the news as well that really disturbs me more and more and that's it's it's attempts to scare you with invented threats while frequently ignoring things we should actually be afraid of. And um, and then, of course, goes on to say that how to engage with the media in a healthy, active, and contemplative way is a true dilemma of modern life. Yeah, so th- this isn't just me, apparently. No, <laughs> you are not alone, my friend. You are yeah. not alone. Yeah. <laughs> so we wanted to uh, talk about... Uh, just touch on this whole issue of the terrorist bombings that have been happening and and then a lot of the, you know, what has sprung out of that, and, and you know, this has been something in the news, one of those fear things, mm. is the refugee paranoia. Oh, should we let refugees into our country or not? And, and you know, I was so proud of my older son, Alex, uh, who is 12, uh, after he listened to the episode and we were talking about the refugee thing. And, and he said, well, you know, Mom, if we stop letting the refugees into our country, then the terrorists win. Right. And and I was like, I'm so proud that you're my son right now. I know, right? Those <laughs> wonderful moments. It's like, <laughs> yeah. So, no. I have so, not failed. <laughs> yeah, other, exactly. Like, success. We're doing it. Like, yeah. Just hold on to this when puberty comes. That's Just hold right. on to oh, it. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's on the verge of those. I know, right? Just hold on. Remember this moment. Because that's who he really is. That's who he really is. No, it's really true, right? Because in the the Paris, I mean, a lot of the the hoo-ha over the, the refugees was because people thought there was a refugee involved in the Paris attacks. There was not a refugee involved in the Paris attacks. That was a fake passport or a planted passport. And and again, that's one of these things. If we just stop for a second and think, right? How does someone get blown to smithereens by a bomb and nothing of them remains but their passport? Right. I, let's just, just for a second, my darlings, let's just back up and breathe, <laughs> you know, yeah. remember your high school physics class <laughs> and recognize that's probably not going to happen. Right. Um, and by the same kind of token, so, 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 so the, all this paranoia about the refugees was based on this thing that wasn't even true. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that if we had thought about that for a second, we would have asked some yeah. questions like, is that, huh? And right? then it became this thing that people <sighs> latched onto and are you for it are you against it and it became this oh big thing and it's like really yeah it was really and and like our process for vetting refugees like they don't get to the airport and we go oh you're a refugee okay that's fine come on <laughs> in like it is the process is extremely um Involved, There are at least five different departments of national security involved in this. It takes years and years and years and years 
to be vetted as a refugee, right? Wow, I didn't you, know that. Yes, it's like minimum two years. That's the fastest it could possibly go. And I don't know who you'd have to be to be done in two years. I've never heard of anyone getting through that process in two years. More like five to ten is what it wow. takes to vet people. So, um, so you can see already. If you're wanting to plan an attack, that's a really stupid way to try to get somebody in the yeah, country. I don't think like, that timeline's going to work. I know, right? Time. It reminds me of that like Chris Rock piece where he talked about, like, whatever, gun control. We should just make bullets like $10,000 a piece, right? And then people would be like, dude, I'm going to pop a cap in you. I'm going to get a third job, and I'm going to save my money. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the equivalent to trying to send a refugee through. It just doesn't. And then they are they are interviewed by the Department of Justice, by the CIA, by by TSA, by I mean, so they're they're interviewed by five different um, five different departments. That includes psychological interviewing and assessment. So it is a very rigorous, and it's more rigorous than the European. The European one is also very involved. I did, a, I did. I've done refugee work there as well as here, and I knew people that were in the camps over there for 15 years, still waiting to be completed. Wow! Right. So, so it's just to be afraid of that. It's just not reasonable, right? Um, and then we put ourselves into this position again of um, turning away. We turned away refugees, Jewish refugees, um, at the Second World War, with the same concerns. Right. Mm -hmm. We also felt like they represented everything that we were afraid of. We thought that they were going to bring disease and communism and they were going to take over the country like the same things. Right. Now we're worried about terrorism. That's in sort of the collective shadow psyche right now. But all the things that were lurking around in our shadow psyche that we're sort of vaguely afraid of. Right. um, We 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 threw that onto the Jews in the thirties when they tried to come over. So taking a moment to kind of pull back from that and recognize, okay, do we really want to do this again? Right. Because there's, we have had a lot of guilt about recognizing Mm -hmm. that that's what's happening. And I think it was really interesting as this conversation started taking up in the media, um, in my own personal work, um, I had been working through some um, some personal experiences, and this theme was coming up of being afraid to trust, being afraid to be compassionate, right? Because I was uncovering these experiences where my compassion had been used against me, mm-hmm. right? And I think that is going to be a discussion that's much more useful than the anti-refugee, which has turned into anti-Muslim, right? Yeah, um, which is interesting, right? Because so many Syrians are Christians. <laughs> um, <laughs> there, there are Jews and Christians all over the Middle East, folks. You know, so and the Christians also call God Allah because that's the word for God in Arabic. So, um, um, you know, so there's so right, like it's hmm. really interesting how we're conflating all these things together. Um, but I think. A much more useful discussion. Again, like we talked about in that first episode and what we want to do with this, with this segment is find a way to introspectively work with the news and see how are we contributing to this, right? And so for those that are listening, 
that maybe aren't so afraid of the refugees, but find themselves, because I think that's what I'm seeing most people. They're either afraid of the refugees or they're afraid of the people who are afraid of the refugees. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Right, Like, oh my God, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? You know? And so, um, like the Donald Trumps of the world. Right. Right. right? And, and, you know, and there's been, um, and for, for our Muslim compatriots, like, my goodness, there's been so much violence against Muslims that's been happening and Donald Trump has been ripping this up. And so, so I, I get it, but the, the problem is we're all still feeding the fear, <laughs> right? And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter who we're, who we're aiming the fear towards, the fear itself is what is feeding that thing that's tearing us apart from one another, right? So, um, so finding a way to work with that. And, um, and it took me a while to like sit and meditate and journal with the stuff that's been going on because it is really disturbing, you know, to see like, okay, how can we work with this usefully, um, in a useful way and, and coming into that space of being afraid to show compassion, being afraid, um, to give people a chance um, being afraid to trust. Well, that is something that I think all of us are contributing to this. If we yeah. see that that is really the emotional pattern that's happening here. Yeah. It, I, and I can definitely relate to that in my life, you know, just as someone who, um, you know, I tend to be very trusting and, um, uh, and, and so I've had, I've definitely experienced that yeah. of, well, I want to be trusting because that's who I am naturally. But then at the same time, you know, there have been those times when, you know, someone took advantage of that and took advantage of, you know, my nature. And, and, um, and that's, you know, that's a scary thing because then it's yeah. like, well, can I be myself? Can I be trusting? Can I be compassionate or is it going to be used against me? And, and, you know, and one thing that you see, I mean, you see this in, you know, stories all the time where you have the, the good character who's compassionate and trusting and loving the, and then the, the antagonist who's like, you're weak. And, right. and it's, I mean, it's, it's a kind of black and white way of looking at it, but, yeah. but there's, but there's something about, you know, the antagonist saying that makes you weak that we, we kind of sort of agree with them, you know, and go, well, you know, yeah, I have had some situations where my compassion has been used against me. And so they're not totally wrong. And and Mm. while you don't want to necessarily, you know, be that bad guy and and live the way they're living, there's still, there's still a part of me that's like, but you know, there's some truth there kind of buying into it a little bit. Right. And so, so I think that for me, that's the challenge is, you know, how do I be that compassionate person that I am while putting up reasonable defenses, you know, that, because, you know, sometimes Mm. you do need to protect yourself. So sure. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Like how, how do you do? Well, with that? it's interesting, right? Because, um, I had a question pop up while you're talking and then it ran away again. Um, about that, uh, that idea. Oh, I know what it was. This, I, that buying into the idea that we're weak when we trust people and we display compassion, um, like who's really weak. The one that is displaying the compassion and has no armor on, or the one that takes advantage of that. Mm. 
and and I don't think that that's not a question we ask that often, right? Like, who's really the weak one in that situation? Right. The one that's displaying the compassion, or right? Like, how right. how weak and in a corner do you have to be to take advantage of that in the first place? Right. Like, how how do right. you get to that space? Right. Yeah. Um, but I I also wonder like if we. As you're thinking about a moment where someone took advantage of that trusting, compassionate nature that you have, were there things that you picked up on or saw and you explained away or brushed away for that betrayal to happen later? Um, well, yeah, I mean, sometimes, uh, I know, like, you know, in one particular relationship I was in, there was a point where I sort of went, I don't know. I don't know if I should continue this. But then Mm. I talked myself out of it because there were things about the relationships that that were really good that I didn't want to give up. And, you know, and I had this fear of, well, if I give up this relationship, then, you know, then I'll be single again. And, you know, what if, you know, I end up old and alone and the cat lady Ah, and whatever, you know, that kind of thing. So, so, um, (laughs) so I don't know. There there are times I think I've gotten better at listening to my instincts. And when some, something comes up that goes, Hmm, maybe you shouldn't do this, you know, that, and I'm starting to be able to tell the difference between like that voice, that inner voice and the fear voice that mm. is worry. Cause usually the worry, the fear voice will be like, what if this happens? What if that happens? You know, there's a more sort of frenetic yeah. sort of energy right. to that one. Yeah. And cause that's one of like the tricks this, too. Yeah. It's like, once you say, Oh, I want to listen to my inner voice. It's like, well, we, I have more than one. It's kind of like inside <laughs> out. Like that's yeah, the other no, thing that true. I related yeah. to was like, yeah, there's not just one inner voice. There's different ones. And sometimes they're telling me conflicting things, you know? Right. And so one part may be saying, Oh, be compassionate and be generous. Another part is like, Oh, but what if this happens? What if that happens? And, you know? Yeah. So Yeah. No, and I love that you talked about the the difference between how each of those voices make you feel, mm-hmm. right? Because because it it is different. Like where it's whether it's coming from that place of love or that place of fear. Like those fear based voices definitely have this kind of frizzy, frenetic, like ah kind of yeah. energy to them, right? And and it's so true that that uh, underneath this sort of questioning of well, maybe this isn't a good idea, but I do like these things, right? But I love that you got to the place of, um, but, you know, so this isn't bad because if we say no, then we're, you know, what if we die alone? And, you know, like the neighbors only find us after two and a half weeks and our bodies half just, you know, eaten by cats. Like, you know, like, so, so that lets us know where the real questions are coming from or where the rationalization is coming from. Mm, right. Because right. that was the part of you that was saying, well, it's not that bad, yeah. you know? Um, and this and, was a long time ago when I did, I was a lot younger and I didn't, yeah. have, you know, it a sophisticated up, of awareness. Yeah. And no, so, it's true too. But yeah. it, I mean, it's something that we're, that's a fear a lot of people have, right? Mm-hmm. Like we have this idea that we're, perhaps we're not fully lovable right. and good is the enemy of great, right? Mm, you hold on to what you have that's, that's good okay. or okay or getting you by because 
to let go of that, to, to get what's really great and what's better means letting go of what's good, letting go of that safe thing and, and taking, taking that leap. Absolutely. And I, and I think we all, I think we all do that, right? So when we start Mm -hmm. getting to the space of, um, well, I don't know if anyone is, is if I'm going to be worthy enough to say that I can send this away, Mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah. What if something better doesn't come along? Yeah. 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 So, um, and, and I think too, like really, um, and especially for people that have a history of abuse, like trust is a huge issue, huge issue. Um, it's something that I have struggled with in a lot of different places in my life. And it's something that almost everyone I know struggles with. Um, and that, the, the being able to trust, it really comes down to whether or not we trust ourselves. Hmm. Right. Yeah. So if I'm not trusting the information that I get from myself, then I get myself into situations where I'm betrayed. Right. right? Like there's always the stuff that came up before that I knew that I pushed away right. because. Yeah. I've been surprised at how often I'll have an instinct about something and and then it ends up being right and i'm like whoa like how did i know that and 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 i don't know how i know it or where it came from but uh but i've started to realize that that's actually rather reliable yeah <laughs> and uh so yeah that's that's helped a lot right and how what are the different ways that we shut that voice down mm-hmm. right so like it's not rational it doesn't make sense i can't explain I it i can't explain it that's the key thing right, right? Yeah. or uh, i know one of the things i would use to shut that down is quit being so picky quit being such a bitch quit being so right like mm-hmm. that was the thing that came in my head it was totally that I, I joke about being a recovering southern bell right so <laughs> It's like, that's that sort of Southern bell voice, like tamping me down, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, stop it. You're being too picky. You're being bitchy. You're being this, you're being that just stop, you know, um, instead of really letting that, um, flow. And I think, I think we had it in one of the practical, uh, one of those sort of, uh, what are we, what's the practical the, tips or yes. whatever. Yeah. Practical uh, implementation station or yeah. integration station. <laughs> so, um, but like the, the Airbnb stuff that I do has been a big part, uh, a, a huge practice of like being able to fully trust that voice and not question it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to have that space where I can practice that is, it, it's been really liberating, right? Yeah. And and then eventually I start asking, like, okay, so why don't I do that with everything all the time? You know, like yeah. it makes it easier and easier when I see um, how how powerful that's been because we have not had any negative experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't make her explain herself when she yeah. says, "Eh, no, pass, <laughs> you know, pass on this person." Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's like I don't have; well, she doesn't have to tell me why. And something that just occurred to me too is is that I've learned that oftentimes what we fear is going to happen either doesn't happen or it's not as bad. Like even mm. when things don't go well, it's very rarely is it. I mean, it's usually something you can recover from. Yeah, you know. Um, and you know, and if there's ever a rare occasion where I think to myself, well, what's the worst that could happen here? And the answer is I could die. Right. And that's like a little, then I go, okay, I'm going to be on the cautious (laughs) side then, you know, but very rarely 
you know, when we risk things, are we, is it life and death? Right. You know, most things you can recover from, even if you do mess up. And so that's something that has helped me be a lot more brave in, yeah. in taking risks, whether it's an emotional risk, like trusting someone or, you know, uh, you know, wanting to, you know, go, uh, st- you know, quit my job and start my business or whatever, um, is I've just learned that even when things go badly, it, you know, you can bounce back from it. It's, and I've heard that over and over from people, especially from people who've gone through way worse things than anything I've experienced is that, you know, it made me stronger. I, I, you know, I learned all these things. I bounced back from it and now I'm better than ever. And, and, you know, so that's something that I think we often overlook because that little voice is telling us, Oh, think of all the bad things that could happen. Doesn't fails to mention that even if those bad things do happen, you might be okay and you might even be better for it. Yeah. And I think this is one of the places where the discussion about the refugees, people go, yeah, but we could die. Right. Yeah. Um, But we could anyway. I mean, there's so many things. So since about 30,000 people die per year in car accidents and also about 30,000 people die per year in gun violence, um, Right, that that kills way more Americans every single year than terrorists ever have. Yeah. Right. So, um, but I but I don't see us saying, okay, that's it, no more cars for me. It's bicycles only from here on out. You know. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't even include all the health related. Right. That's not that even getting in the rest from, of it. Right. right? <laughs> like, and I don't see like Krispy Kremes and McDonald's shutting down either. So. Because they're a threat life. to our lives. Yeah, yeah totally. So, um, um, so it's really true. But I think, uh, and and in that that discussion, even in the supposed risk with the with the refugees, which we can see rationally, that risk is not there. There's mm-hmm. never been a refugee involved in a terrorist attack. Um, these are people that are fleeing the terrorists. Mm-hmm. Um, they are our greatest ally in being able to defuse. Um, the bomb that is Daesh, right? So, um, but even within that space, um, I saw some really great, um, some really great posts, and this is coming from the Christian tradition, but someone had put like, if I die because of letting these people that are fleeing these atrocities in, then I die upholding my values as a Christian, right? And I would rather die upholding those values of compassion and love and honoring other human beings um, than live violating them, right? Right. Um, So it, it's, it, and I think that's the thing that I find really fascinating about so much of this discussion is that it seems to be coming, a lot of it seems to be coming from people that would identify as being believers of whatever stripe, right? Um, since we're in America, a lot of it is happening around the Christian, the Christian tradition. And so I, I, I don't understand if you believe in an afterlife, why are you so afraid of someone killing you, upholding the values that are going to guarantee you that positive experience in the after it, it just kind of blows my mind. Right. It's kind of the same thing with like, like Christian preppers, right? Like these doomsday apocalyptic people that are stockpiling all this stuff. Like if you're an atheist, you don't think there's anything past this lifetime. Okay. Yeah. You want to me, right? Like you're going to hang on to that because that's all you have. But, but if you believe there's something after this, 
then like I don't want to live when there's like <laughs> oh, zombies yeah. like, going down the street. I don't want to live through that. Right. I just don't. And uh, and I remember like you know uh, the last scare um, during during the Cold War, right? Mm-hmm. So now the kids are having uh, gun violence, which is, gun violence really is something um, that, that's a big threat to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was a kid, right, it was the um, for the nuclear bomb. We had these right. dr- these bomb drills. And um, Memphis, where I grew up, was on the list, right? They would give out these maps of where the bombs are going to hit or where the missiles are going to go. I know, right? They would totally whip us into this stuff. It was amazing. So, um, And Memphis was on the list. And I remember, like, in junior high, high school, like, before I had a car, plotting how I was going to get to the depot. We had a defense depot in Memphis, right? So that's why we were a target. And... Um, so I would be like, okay, how can I get there? Right? Because they said if they hit the bombs, we're going to have five hours or whatever it was for the missile to travel before we are all annihilated. And there are all these movies about the wow. day after. And yeah, yeah I mean, we've oh, done this God. over and over again. We've done this over and over again. So, um, but yeah, I would plot like how I can get to the depot because I wanted to be right underneath it. Like I don't want to live through that. I don't want right. to live underground for ten years. I don't want. <laughs> I don't want to like have. I don't want to get shanked over a can of beans. Like yeah. I just. <laughs> I am really not interested. Oh, I died quickly from that radiation. <laughs> I just not like no from the impact. Just give me right then. I don't. Yeah. Want- <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> well, that was an interesting note to wrap, <laughs> to wrap that up. Yeah, on. Like, okay, yeah. So, um, okay. So we'll be we'll be back in the next segment. Hang on. <laughs> All right. So we've had some really great discussions today and explored a lot of powerful topics. I think. And so now it's time to get practical, right? Because this is... Sarah always like, bring it to the ground. Come yep. on. <laughs> so, so how can... Uh, what can people do if they want to go and come away from today's episode and start applying what we've talked about today mm. in their daily lives? Yeah, I think... And we've hit on this issue with the um, integration station before. is the idea of trusting our instincts and really t- tapping down into that. Um, so I think continuing that practice and finding a space where you, you, you agree, okay, I will always listen to my ins- instinct in this space. So for mm-hmm. me, it was Airbnb people, mm-hmm. right? People that, that request a room with Airbnb. Um, I do not question my intuition. She doesn't have to explain herself. It doesn't have to make sense to me, yeah. right? Um, in that space... She rules the show and what she says goes. So, and, and you know, a great thing about that too is if you started off in a fairly small area of your life, you know, something where it's not high stakes, then you you start to learn what that feels like and get yeah. in the habit of doing it. And then when it's time to make a really big decision, then you're more confident in being able to right. listen to your instincts. Exactly. And start yeah. working on transferring those skills to other places. But right. yeah, so I would... I would invite people to to find an area in their life where they are going to fully trust their own, listen to their own instincts and trust them in that space. Um, yeah. 
and, and, and build, cause I, like we talked about so much of, um, the betrayals that we experience and our fear of trusting actually comes down to, we're not really trusting ourselves. Right. So, um, yeah. so really building that, that muscle for us, are we, are we trusting us? Yeah. yeah. And a good, a good takeaway that I got from our discussion t- talking about the terrorism and everything was that, um, I, I can ask myself where in my life am I allowing my fear to control me? Mm-hmm. In other words, the terrorist in my head, yeah. you know, what is it preventing me from doing? Where am I unwilling to have compassion or, you know, take healthy risks and chances um, because that fear is standing in the way. Right. And where is it calling you to violate your own values? Right. Right. Yeah. Like we have those values as Americans, those values are ensconced in the constitution. Right. And we write it down four times like this, right? If it was like always, always just our friends and we all felt safe and good, then we wouldn't need it, you know, but right. it's for these times when, when there is a lot of fear in the air that we need this place to come back to that says, here are our values. Are we maintaining those? Are we upholding those? Right. Um, and so it might be something people can do is really think about what are your personal values, right? What is really important to you? What is, um, what, what are those, uh, those values that you hold in your hand as you're making each decision, right? And, um, and that, you know, we should probably do a segment on practiced values versus stated uh, values, values. (laughs) you know, (laughs) but you know, the way to uphold the stated values is to check in and find out. Cause a lot of times it is the fear that is, am I practicing this or is there something you're yeah, getting in the way? Exactly. Cause I think, I think we'd probably find that most of the time it is going to be fear that's getting in the way of, of us not upholding the things that are most dear to us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. We uh, want to give a thank you to the people who uh, share their comments on our Facebook group and uh, send us their questions. If you have questions that you would like us to answer or address, please uh, share those on our Facebook group. It's you just go to Face Group and uh, you, <laughs> you just go to Facebook and then search for Kitchen Table Alchemy, and you'll find our group. It is a closed group, so you just apply to become a member, and then we'll approve you. And then, uh, yeah, send us your questions because is, we could talk about this stuff all day long, but we would really love to uh, talk about the things that you want to hear about. Yeah, we want to start a conversation here. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing that we'd like to ask you to do is if you enjoy this podcast and you want to keep listening, please go to our website, kitchentablealchemy.com. And subscribe to our mailing list. And that way, when we have a new episode that comes out, that'll go straight to your inbox. You'll get a notification and then you can check out the latest episode. And um, we look forward to being with you then.